The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. If you have your Bibles with you, open them up with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we are continuing our series entitled Encounters with Jesus. Encounters with Jesus. And the idea is for us to take a look at various places in the, in the Gospels where we see Jesus ministering in not so much the masses and ministering in his sermons, but ministering in a personal touch, a kind of a, a unique way, one-on-one uh, with various individuals, and uh, just the things that we can learn. And again, the idea, the, the thought from my heart and prayer is that uh, you know, we can kind of visualize Jesus as this man walking among us. And just to kind of see a a window into his heart, uh, a window into the way he interacts with people. And as we study him, of course, we study God, because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. He is God in the flesh. And so, you know, whatever your ideas about God are, they are best discerned in the life and person of Jesus. If you want to know more about God, study Jesus. You want to know what God thinks about things? Look at the life of Jesus. How does he react? How does he treat people? How does he respond? What is his heart? That's the heart of God, and we see it in the life of Christ. Tonight, picking up in verse 36, we'll be looking at Jesus, and we're going to be, uh, in, he's going to be in a setting, and we're going to see two different responses to Jesus. We could entitle this message, A Contrast of Hearts. A Contrast of Hearts. Uh, pick it up with me. Jesus uh, is been invited to a dinner at a Pharisee's home and in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So break there. We see that Jesus is invited to dinner to a Pharisee's house, a Pharisee, a religious leader of the, of the time, uh, one who was studied in the Word of God, religious leading in the community. Uh, a prominent position, someone of certain notoriety and respect in the day that Jesus was ministering. We know that Jesus had a lot of conflict with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, because Jesus didn't follow protocol. Jesus didn't kind of look up and respect and follow all the, the, the notions, the religious notions of the Pharisees. He kind of broke out of those boundaries, and the Pharisees resented him for that. Not only that, Jesus was very popular among the people, and that made many of the Pharisees jealous of his following and his impact. 
And we see him here still willing to go to a Pharisee's house, and a Pharisee invites him. Now, we know that Jesus was often dining with sinful people in the community. In fact, he got a lot of bad reputation for that because he was willing to dine with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were the, you know, the, the low life of the culture. Jesus was willing to go and associate with people that the normal religious leaders were not willing to be a part of. But this is interesting that we see Jesus still willing, even though there is something between him and the Pharisees in general, Jesus is still willing to go, and he's open uh, to be used even in that setting. We, we see this as we look through and week by week. We just see Jesus always on mission, Jesus always looking for doors to open, opportunities where he can minister truth into people's lives, even in a Pharisee's home. You know, sometimes God will put you in places that are not necessarily um, favorable to you. Jesus is in a little bit of a hostile setting here. We, we see that even in the text. We see this Pharisee kind of, you know, evaluating Jesus while he's in the home. It's almost as though he's invited him over just so he can check him out, you know, and, and now he's already judging Jesus when this sinful woman comes in and pours her heart out an expression of love and worship at the feet of Jesus. And, and yet Jesus is there. And, you know, the Lord will use our lives in numerous ways. You know, it may be a workplace that's not necessarily a Christian setting. It may be certain family gatherings where you know, you know, um, your Christian faith is not necessarily going to be embraced in fact, you may go there and people, you know people are going to be watching you. And they're going to be evaluating you. And some of them may even try to, you know, start up a little dialogue with you, a little debate with you. And, you know, Jesus didn't shy away from these things. Jesus goes. He was ready to minister in any setting. Jesus did not mesh well with the Pharisees, but Jesus still loved the Pharisees. He's still willing to go even to this invitation and and look for ways that he might minister. Well, we see the Pharisee's heart is revealed. He's judging Jesus. If he were a prophet, Jesus comes in with some reputation. Obviously, the Pharisee has invited him. He wants to see what this, all, this, all this is about this Jesus. Supposedly, he's a prophet. Supposedly, he's a man that is, you know, speaks for God and ministering great miracles. I'm going to have him over for dinner. And as soon as he has him in the house, he starts kind of critiquing him, evaluating him. If he were a prophet, he would certainly not allow this sinful woman to come in and make this spectacle of herself. He's got a, this is all happening at the table. This is all going beneath the surface. How many of you know a lot of things go on beneath the surface? right? You know, you can have a lot going on in your mind and, the, and your words don't necessarily reflect that. Have you ever felt that? Ever felt like somebody's like, you know, with a look or a thought like, wow, this person's dissing me without a word. I can just sense it there. You know, I'm getting evaluated here. You can imagine how this woman felt. It says she was a sinful woman. Now, when the Bible says someone was a sinful person, it's more than just, you know, because we're all sinners, right? All have fallen short of the glory of God. None are righteous. We all have missed the mark. But in this setting, when the Bible's talking about this woman, and we'll see even Jesus is going to speak of her, 
she was something of a notorious sinful woman. The Bible doesn't tell us what her sin was. Many Bible commentators, teachers, presume that she was most likely a prostitute from the community. It's not a bad, you know, guess as to what she might have been up to. We don't know. We know this, that she came in with a reputation, a reputation for being someone, uh, something of a sinful person. And for the Pharisee, for the religious person, they did not associate with these, these notorious sinners. They kept distance between themselves and the lowlifes, the sinful women, the sinful tax collectors, the men of bad reputation. They did not kind of mingle with them. And the fact that this woman comes in and, you know, is just making this to-do over Jesus is offending this Pharisee. He, he's judging her and he's judging Jesus. This pride of self-righteousness, this imagining that he himself was better than her and Jesus. Jesus doesn't know what he's doing and this woman is a sinner and she shouldn't even be touching him. He was blind to his own need, blind to the value of others, and clearly blind to who it was that was at table with him. He was in the presence of Jesus, but he's, he's judging him as just a man who doesn't, isn't pro- acting properly with this sinful woman. This is the setting. And let me just say before we read on, church, as believers, as Christians, We need to guard our hearts against this type of prideful self-righteousness. You know, we live in a very fallen world, and we're seeing more and more of even our culture going deeper and deeper away from the things of God, deeper and deeper into sinful conduct and lifestyles. And it might be tempting for us to kind of just distance ourselves from those that are just so, you know, ungodly, those that are so sinful. We're, the, we're Christians. We're, we're followers of Jesus. We need to kind of just distance ourselves a little bit. Let's kind of, you know, uh, huddle up together and just judge all of the evil things that are going on about us and comment on it. And just talk about, oh, can you believe what's happening? Oh, can you believe what they're into? Can you believe what's taking place? I'm not suggesting that we ignore the things that are going on and that that our hearts are not moved and and offended in some way. But I'm also saying, listen, it's a fine line between, you know, seeing things recognizing things that are sinful and then also beginning to think, well, I'm so glad I'm not like that. I'm so glad I'm not that kind of a person. And we begin to secretly, maybe unconsciously, pride and imagine ourselves to be better than those that are struggling and wrestling in the depravities of sin. And that's what had happened in, in, the, in the time that Jesus walked the earth. The men the, that were supposed to be the spiritual leaders in the culture had actually become high-minded prideful, elite, and instead of bringing God to the people and bringing the people to God, they actually put greater distance between the people and God in the way that they represented their faith. They were well studied. Oh, they knew the Scriptures meticulously. 
That's all they did was study the Scriptures. They were deep into the law and its regulations. In fact, they they elaborated on the law. They tried to define every act of life according to the law. But in in the doing of that, they became prideful, they became self-righteous, and they begin to look down upon others, and we must never allow that even in our own hearts. Listen, first, firstly, we need to be honest with ourselves. This Pharisee, he was, he was a sinner too, wasn't he? He was in just, just as much need of forgiveness as this sinful woman. Let us not forget that we too are but sinners saved by the grace of Jesus. We too are but people with shortcomings, people that have made mistakes that God has been so patient and gracious to forgive us. We need to be honest with ourselves. We also need to see the value of others, even those that are deep and lost in sin. We ought not to, to, to you know, uh, frown on them, but rather we need to see the value in them. Jesus loves the sinner. Jesus loves the lost world. We need to know the heart of Jesus. We see this woman come in, and it seems by the way this story reads that she must have already had some exposure to Jesus. Maybe she had heard him. Jesus had been ministering in the community for some time. Perhaps she had heard some of his teaching. Maybe she heard the Sermon on the Mount. How blessed are the poor in spirit, those who, are, those who recognize their need for God. How blessed are they that come to faith in God. How, how merciful the Lord is. Remember, Jesus had said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now just those words, imagine yourself like this woman, just a sinner who feels completely isolated and shunned from the religious people. This is a woman who could never walk into the synagogue to to fellowship because her reputation preceded her. Everywhere she went, any kind of religious gathering, she would have been immediately identified, just as she is here in this setting. But imagine when she somehow heard these words of Jesus, come to me, I'll give you rest. My burden is easy. My, my, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. Look, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to shame you. I'm here to reach out to you and heal you. I'm here through to, to actually bring forgiveness and hope to your life. It seems that she must have had some knowledge of Jesus because the text tells us when she knew that where he was, she went to see him. And she went prepared. She had this alabaster flask. She went looking for Jesus. She must have had already an exposure to him. Her heart and faith must have already been touched by him. And we see that um, her, maybe even in a personal way, maybe Jesus had ministered to her even in a one-on-one setting. We don't know the background of this woman, but we know that she, when she heard that Jesus was there, she went there just to express her worship. She's come to just thank him. 
She's come to just pour out her appreciation on him. She's not asking for anything. She's already received something from Jesus. His words have already touched her heart. He's already brought hope into her life. She's already sensing this mercy and forgiveness that Jesus has graciously given to her. She pursues Jesus. She looks for him. She comes in humility. She comes and bows down at his feet. She comes with great emotion. There's a great deep passion from her heart. She feels grateful for Jesus and what he's done in her life. She comes with an act of service to wash his feet, to anoint his feet with oil. She comes giving the very, uh, possibly the highest value of anything that she owned. The alabaster uh, of fragrant oil was a very valuable thing in this culture and very costly and very, you know, worth quite a bit. She pours it out on Jesus. There's some tips there for us in worship. I think our hearts need to be pursuing Jesus, looking for opportunities to worship him, coming in humility, willing to uh, open our hearts up even with emotion before the Lord. Now, our faith and our worship life is not anchored in emotion, but let's be honest. When you feel deeply about something, there is emotion. There is a passion. There is something that connects in your heart. And looking for ways just to offer a service. What can she do for Jesus? I can wash his feet. This was very common, again, in this culture when, because, you know, the roads were dusty and they wore sandals. And when they would come into to various homes, there would always be a place to wash your feet. And so this woman takes it upon herself. She's washing his feet with her tears. She's drying it with her hair. And she's pouring out. Her, the greatest value maybe that she possesses, and that is this alabaster flask of oil. As I read this, as I see this woman, I guess in my own heart, I say, Lord, how's my worship doing? Do I pursue you with this kind of passion? Am I looking to be thankful? Boy, you've touched my life. You've sure made a difference in my life, in my home, in my heart. I don't want to, be, I don't want to get nonchalant about that. I don't want to ever lose my gratitude, Lord. I want to be willing to express my worship. Listen, I, I want there to be, not all the time, but I want there to be sometimes when I have moved, even emotionally, deeply. Sometimes it happens when we're singing and we're worshiping. Music helps, doesn't it? Music kind of connects our hearts to the Lord in expression. And I think that's the gift of music that the Lord has given to us. That's what the, the psalmist says, sing, sing to the Lord. In the New Testament, sing, make melody in your heart to the Lord. Music is a great gift to help you express deeply your love, your appreciation to the Lord. And I want to take full advantage of that. This woman, she comes in and pours out herself really unashamedly. She knows what people are thinking about her. She doesn't care. She just wants to minister to Jesus. Jesus is going to pick up on all this. You know, all this is happening. The Pharisees judging this woman, judging him. The woman's pouring her heart out. Jesus now speaks to the Pharisee. Verse 40, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So now we know the Pharisee's name is Simon. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Denarii was roughly a day's wage. 
So Jesus says, look, there, there's this man, two people owe him money. One owes him 500 days, a year and a half's worth of wages, the other 50. Verse 42, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, a standard greeting, a kiss on the cheek was a an appropriate greeting in that culture. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven." And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Go, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So as the story advances here, we get a little more insight into the hospitality of Simon the Pharisee. Apparently, he's something of a rude host, some typical courtesies that would be shown to a visiting guest are not shown to Jesus. And again, we have to wonder, what, what was his motive for inviting Jesus to dinner? He's not showing him kind of the normal courtesy and respect of a guest in his home. Hospitality was very important in this culture. And he's not showing him any of the common hospitality. And not only that, but he immediately starts to judge Jesus' actions as this woman comes in to worship. And so this lack of hospitality, this judging attitude, all of it flowing from his own prideful, self-righteous heart. All of these things that Jesus mentions should have been expected. There should have been a washing of his feet. There should have been a greeting. There should have been an oil for anointing. This woman, woman is pouring all of this out, this out. And Jesus is pointing out the reason this woman is so lavish in her expression of love and worship is because she knows how much forgiveness of her sins she has received. The one who is forgiven little, or let's put it this way, the one who imagines they don't need much forgiving, tends to not appreciate and show in gratitude the mercy that is extended through, through Jesus. When someone knows deeply how much God has forgiven them, their hearts are grateful when someone imagines themselves to be, well, a pretty, I'm a pretty good person anyway, but I'm not perfect, so yeah, like maybe Jesus does need, maybe I do need some forgiveness. You see, the value of mercy is diminished when the heart and mind are self-righteous. 
The truth is, Simon was in just as desperate a need of the mercy of God in his life as this woman. Her sins were known. They were outward. They were public. Oh, but his sins were secret. They were hardness of heart, pride, judging, criticism, closing his heart towards the very people that he as a religious spiritual leader should have been sensitive to. Which is worse? I think the, the, the sinner who knows he's a sinner is in a better condition than the sinner than who, who doesn't think he has much sin. And Jesus is trying to call this out and express this. He kind of empowers this woman. He calls her a woman. You know, he doesn't call her a harlot. He doesn't call her this, you know, notorious sinner, this person from the community that we all know. He says her sins are many, but he says this, this woman is pouring out her love and her worship to me. She knows she's a sinner, and she's grateful for the mercy Jesus says that it is her faith that has saved her, in verse 50. It's not this expression of love that is earning forgiveness. This expression of love is the response to the forgiveness that she has received. Jesus says, listen, the one who loves much is the one who is forgiven much. They don't love, we don't love to earn forgiveness we, for, we receive forgiveness by faith in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. By putting our trust and belief in him, our sins are forgiven, and that becomes such a blessing in our life that our hearts respond with great love, with great worship, with great expression of thankfulness. And Jesus, we see here, contrasting two hearts. Simon, the self-righteous, this woman, a sinner who is receiving forgiveness. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. This is not when forgiveness came to her. I believe this is Jesus simply publicly affirming, woman, your sins are forgiven. Sometimes we need that, don't we? We, we know we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We know that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But let's be honest, sometimes it's hard to believe because we know that we don't really deserve the forgiveness. We know that we, we really, you know, it, it almost seems unfair for God to be so merciful and it's almost as if Jesus is reminding this woman again, woman, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. I have found in my own life, and I have found this to be very true in many Christian lives, that this receiving the forgiveness of God in Christ, although kind of intellectually, we understand the concept. Down in the heart, it's very difficult for some to receive. I know in my own life, if, if you knew, if, if, if you asked me, were my sins forgiven? I would say yes, but I still carried kind of a, some baggage with me, believing that, yeah, I'm forgiven, but 
I'm pretty sure that, you know, there are still some, some lingering effects of my failures. I'm pretty sure I carried around for many years just this idea that certain, certain uh, ministry opportunities were kind of off the table for me. I could do some things for the Lord, but there would be other things. No, 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 not me. You don't understand. When I sinned, I sinned so deeply, so badly, so poorly that, that that's no longer going to be a part of my life. And I, so I kind of carried it around. I knew that I was forgiven, but I also thought in some ways that there was still some lingering effect, some lingering consequence. And sometimes there are consequences, but not in the heart of God, not in the mind of God. Your sins and iniquities he remembers no more. He has separated your sins as far as the east is from the west. He's taken your sins, he's cast them into the depths of the sea. His mercies are new every morning. And I have found that this is often a a place where the devil tries to kind of whisper into your ear. And and the truth is, we still are, are less than perfect, and so then any little you know, any little discretion, oh my goodness, you know, it kind of, it's like the weight of all the past is back on your shoulders. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You stumble and you say, oh, I knew it. I knew I was such a loser. I knew, oh God, here I am again, God. Oh my God. You know, I haven't changed. Nothing, you know, and we kind of talk ourselves right into this place of guilt and condemnation. I'm not suggesting that we have license to just sin without, you know, any consequence or feelings about it. I, you know, that's not, that's not the heart that I'm, that I'm trying to, to help here tonight. I'm trying to suggest to you that, that this woman, who her sins were many, Jesus met her, this Pharisee who maybe appeared to be less than sinful compared to this woman, He remained in his sins because he did not receive by faith what Jesus had come to give, and he's come to give it to all of us, this mercy, this love, this forgiveness. I want to close tonight with a couple of songs of worship, but just a few thoughts before we do. I want to talk about worship just a moment, and then I just want to just pray for those here tonight that may need to be affirmed in their, in their forgiveness. It may be that the same thing Jesus said to this woman needs to be said to your heart. Your sins are forgiven. But this worship, you know, worship is a passion of mine. Um, when I say worship, I talk, I'm talking primarily about our corporate gathering and expressing our hearts to the Lord in worship. We see here that Jesus highly commends this woman. This woman is not, you know, like, come on, get out of here. You're making a spectacle. Come on, really? Tears? Okay, come on, come on, get up. You're embarrassing me. Oh, come on, this is way over the top. You're getting really emotional, right? You don't, you don't see Jesus responding that way. You see Jesus commending her. You see Jesus appreciating her. You see Jesus valuing what she's doing. She's ministering to him, and he's blessed by it. And he's also very noticeable of the self-righteous heart that doesn't express anything to Jesus. He's too important. He's too busy. He's too high-minded to show Jesus even the courtesy of hospitality. 
And I just want to kind of encourage your heart tonight in your own expression of worship. It's not something that can be forced. It's not something that can be worked up. Okay, I got to cry tonight. For sure, I got to cry during that second. Wait a second, I got to. It's got to be. Lord, give me some tears. <laughs> right? It's got to come from the heart. But I will say this: you have to set your heart to worship the Lord. You can't. You can't come in and say, "Okay, Jesus, I'll worship you if you can make me feel it." I dare you. Try. Try me. Been a long day. I dare you, worship leader. See if you can get my hands up. I go ahead. Go for it. right? We come in with our hearts all kind of resistant. Listen, this woman, when she heard that Jesus was in this home, she came. She came prepared. She came ready. She came, you know, overflowing with worship. Why? Because Jesus had made such a difference in her life. And that's where worship has to start. If worship is hard for you, kind of, you know, just kind of difficult for you, it may be that you have to come back and remind yourself, has Jesus made a difference in your life? Where would you be without Jesus? What would have become of your life apart from Jesus and his mercy and his goodness to you? And if you can think that through, I can. I don't, I don't want to think about it too much. I don't have no idea. I might... I might not even be alive if it weren't for Jesus. But if you can kind of rewind that in your thoughts, you know what? You can find a reason to be grateful. You can find a reason to be thankful. You can find a reason to be worshipful. And it's in that that, that, you know, you discover the grace to love on the Lord. And it it is our chance to love on the Lord. Think about relationships that you have with loved ones. Think about a spouse or a family member, a child, a a parent. You think about friendships, um, relationships that never express love and affection to one another, often grow cold and distant. Now, I I think by nature, some of us are more expressive than others. I'm a little more reserved by nature. But, you know, I, I've also learned that I have, to, I have to express what's in my heart. You know, my wife has to hear what's in my heart. I can't just say, well, honey, I told you at the altar, you know, 33 years ago that I loved you. What, what, how many times do I need to say it, right? You get the idea. And this is the way I want my heart to be with the Lord. You know, I want it to be alive. I want it to be like always ready to worship, always ready to thank him, always grateful. I've got to keep that in my heart. I've got to meditate on those things that are praiseworthy, as the Bible tells me. And I have to sometimes set my heart. I'm just like you. Sometimes I come into a worship service, and I've got so many other things on my mind. I'm overwhelmed. The last thing I feel like doing is singing to the Lord. But if I set my heart to do it because he's worthy and because I really do love him, I find that if I will give my heart to that, that a lot of the, I'll just say for lack of a better word, a lot of the feelings of worship tend to follow. Now, our relationship with Christ is not anchored on feelings. Don't misunderstand me. But I do believe that 
and express, expressions of worship will oftentimes engage our feelings. And if I'll set my heart that way, I find that I'm able uh, to get there and to see the Lord begin to soften my heart, warm my heart, speak to me. And it kind of readies my heart for the service. It readies my heart for the Word. It readies my heart for, puts me in the right posture with the Lord. I'm ready now to receive. I've set Him back on the throne of my heart and mind. He's, he's in proper setting for my heart versus the Pharisee who, you know, couldn't receive anything from Jesus. Even when Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven, he thought, you don't have the power to forgive sins. He didn't even know Jesus, not, in, not as Savior. He knew about Jesus, but he didn't know who he truly was. So I want to encourage your hearts in worship. And I think it's an important part of our life together in corporate worship, and I would encourage you to be even a, a private worshiper. It's okay to worship the Lord in your prayer closet, to open up the Psalms and just pray it out and put on a worship song. It's okay to worship God in your car. Just keep one hand on the wheel and go for it. It's okay to worship and sing and have a melody in your heart to the Lord. I would encourage you to keep worship active in your heart and life. And then just finally here, a final word to close. I want to, I just want to, um, minister to you this, um, this word of affirmation that Jesus ministered to the woman. And I want to pray for some of you tonight. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on and, and begin to kind of prepare for some worship. But I, I, want to, I want to pray for people tonight. And I guess first and foremost, I want to pray for you if you're here tonight Maybe you feel like this sinful woman. Maybe you're here tonight and you've not yet really tasted the mercy, the forgiveness of God. You may be here tonight and you're, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you're carrying this weight of guilt and shame. You're carrying this reputation. Others know it. You know it. Your own heart is heavy with it. And listen, Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus, oh, he, he reached out to this woman. When, when the religious establishment want, wanted nothing to do with her, Jesus wanted something to do with her. Jesus wanted to touch her life. He, he did. And maybe you're here tonight and you, you're a person that thinks, you know what, I'm, I'm too far gone. I'm beyond the reach of God's grace. I want you to know that Jesus loves you. He died on a cross for your sin so that you might receive the grace and forgiveness as if you'd never sinned. You see, this woman, he said, your sins are forgiven. Go how? In peace. You're, you're, you have peace between you and God. Your sins are completely forgiven. And if you're here tonight and you've just never received Christ sincerely in your heart and the Lord is speaking to you now, you're the first group of people that I want to pray for. Maybe there's one of you. Maybe there's nobody. Maybe there's several. But right now, as the worship team's preparing, I want to pray for you. If you're here tonight and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you want to receive the mercy and forgiveness that He has available for you right now, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. 
Anybody here tonight, Lord is speaking to you. You want the mercy and grace of Jesus. God bless you. There's a hand here. The very back, God bless you as well. Anyone else tonight, the Lord speaking to you? God bless you, sir. Three have responded. Anyone else tonight? You, you want to receive Christ. You're a sinner. You know it. But Jesus wants you to know that he loves you and he has forgiveness for you. I want to pray for this group first. Anyone else tonight? Just before I pray. You need Jesus. You want to receive him tonight. God bless you, ma'am. So, Lord, for these four hearts responding to you, God, there may be more here tonight, maybe for reasons of embarrassment or uncertainty, God. There may be other hearts here. I pray that you would meet them as well. But for these that have responded to you, Lord, I pray that you would meet them in this moment, that they would come just with open and sincere hearts and say, Jesus, I'm not, I don't want to pretend. I want to tell you I'm, I'm a sinner. I need your mercy. I need forgiveness tonight. I know that I'm not righteous in myself, and I know that you love me. I believe that you died on the cross for me. You rose again. I'm confessing it. I'm believing it. And I'm asking you to forgive me, to come into my life, and to begin to change my heart and make me a new person, just as this woman was a new person after her encounter with Jesus. Lord, meet these hearts tonight, I pray and that they would receive it by faith. That's, that's what Jesus told the woman. You who responded, listen what Jesus said. Your faith has saved you. Not your good works, not anything that, that you can do or not do, not anything you've earned. Your faith, because you believe in me, because you trust me, you will be saved and forgiven of your sins. Lord, I pray you would do this now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Second group, the last group tonight that I would like to pray for are those of you that maybe you are a Christian, you're a believer, but you are carrying some kind of guilt and condemnation even as a believer. You know in your head that your sins are forgiven but you're struggling in your heart. You're just feeling still so unworthy, so unsure. I see we got one response already. Amen. Another one. You get the idea. Go ahead. Raise your hands. If, I, if, if any of this is registering with you, and I'll just keep talking a minute, just raise your hand. You, you know in your heart that it's true, or in your mind that it's true, but your heart is just struggling. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, there's quite a few of you. I, I don't want to embarrass you, but I just, I would like you to stand. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to bring you forward, but just, just stand up tonight. You're here tonight. You, you need this affirmation from Jesus. Think about our passage tonight. This woman was notorious. 
Everyone in town knew she was a sinner. Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. It's an affirmation of what God has done for you in Christ. Anyone else? I'm going to pray. Stand if you need to. So, Lord, for these hearts responding tonight, and God, I've been there. Oh, Lord, I, I know what it is to carry that weight of condemnation. I know what it is to, to be a Christian and yet still feel so ashamed, so unworthy, so discouraged, so guilty. And God, I believe that you want to break that tonight. I believe that those who have stood, Lord, you want to set them free from that tonight. Lord, I believe that just as you turn to this woman, this woman who, and who you had changed, who you had touched, who you had forgiven and cleansed, this woman who you so valued, just as each one standing tonight, Jesus, you value each and every one of them. Oh, I pray, Lord, that your words would resonate in their heart with power tonight. Your sins are forgiven. It's as though it never happened before God. You are righteous before him. You can come boldly with confidence, the Bible says, to the throne of grace. You don't need to be ashamed. I know you feel, oh, I just, I can't. How can it be? It is because of what God has done. It's not because of anything you or I have done. It's because of him and what he's accomplished. Oh, receive this mercy. Have faith in the cross. Have faith in the blood of Jesus tonight. Have faith in what he has done. Have faith in what he declares over you tonight. Believe God. Believe his word over you. Your sins are forgiven. You've been made righteous in Christ, and you come boldly. You're the Spirit of God. May it rise up in you, as the Bible says, reaching out to God, saying, Abba, Father, Daddy, I receive me, cleanse me, forgive me. I receive it because you love me and because of what you've done for me in Jesus. Lord, I pray these hearts would be set free tonight and that the grace of God would continue, not only tonight, Lord, but tomorrow when the doubts come and the whisperings come, Lord, and for the rest of their life, that they would walk in the grace of God. Jesus said, come, I'll give you rest, Lord, that they may rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ tonight, I pray. In your precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.